meets the valley, valley meets the rain. Rain meets the river, river meets the valley, valley meets the rain. Rain meets the river, river meets the valley, valley meets the rain. Rain meets the river, river meets the valley, valley meets the rain. Live on in the valley, Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. My name is Jason Sacco and I thought we would cover today some new best practices for rheumatologists in working with ankylosing spondylitis patients. Now these are updates that came about from the annual rheumatologist meeting that was held earlier this year. These are the guidelines from the American College of Rheumatology, the Spondylitis Association of America, and the Spondyl Arthritis Research and Treatment Network. And they've updated their guidelines on the management of ankylosing spondylitis and non-radiographic axial spondyl arthritis. So we'll get into that. First, I wanted to touch on the question of the week. This one was kind of interesting. I saw a young lady post something on living with ankylosing spondylitis on Facebook that she was having rib pain and was mentioning that to her rheumatologist. And they said that they thought it was unrelated to AS and that there really wasn't anything that they could do for that rib pain. I started looking through it. I personally know rib pain can be an issue where your ribs attach to your spine and also where the ribs come together at the front of your chest. Those areas are prone to inflammation and then, again, are prone to fusing. Everybody's going to get it different. Some people may have a lot of pressure and pain in their ribs. Others may have very little. I've been lucky to have very little, but I have had it, and I I know it's painful. In the show notes, I'm going to have a link. This was from posting I found from the UK Ankylosing Spondylitis Association, and they talk about with AS, your ribs can become inflamed. The ribs can become inflamed, you know, like I said, where they attach with the spine, and that can lead to stiffness and eventually fusion. If you have a doctor that's telling you, no, ribs aren't generally affected or anything of that nature, You know, just a quick Google of rib pain and ankylosing spondylitis will bring you a number of articles. So remember that they can be affected. One of the things you can do as a patient is make sure you're doing a lot of deep breathing. You're doing exercises to keep your ribs flexible. And even when it hurts, keep doing that deep breathing. If you're doing swimming, it helps. Uh, Lightweight exercises, nothing heavy. You're not trying to build huge muscles. You're just trying to keep all that stuff around your rib cage fluid. The more you exercise your ribs, like anything else that deals with ankylosing spondylitis, the better off you'll be. So again, in the show notes, I'll have a link to this and you can read it. It's real short, a couple paragraphs long. With that, let's go on to some of the new guidelines for treating ankylosing spondylitis. The last time these were updated, actually drafted, was 2015. In that four-year time period, quite a bit has changed. You know, a lot more information has become available about the diagnosis and then just treatments evolve. There's more biologics that are available now. And something I'll point out in here that I was kind of wondering about seems like they're actually starting to look at it as well. These guidelines 
and again, in the show notes, I'll have links to these articles. These guidelines help to ensure that rheumatologists, healthcare professionals have current knowledge across the board about what are best practices for treating somebody with AS. So there was 86 recommendations. We're not going to go over all 86 of them. There's really a few that I think are the real important thing. But again, the article will have links to those so you can go out and, and research them. They were, again, were disseminated by, uh, actually, not only were disseminated by, but were come together by the American College of Rheumatology, the Spondylitis Association of America, and like I said before, the Spondyl Arthritis Research and Treatment Network. Really what they're trying to do is if they can get everybody kind of streamlined in the treatment, the, the whole goal is to get a faster treatment to people and not these stories that you might read online where a person, you know, languishes for years trying to get some type of diagnosis. They're trying to come up with faster ways to track people so that they get the treatment much earlier in the stages of AS and not later on in life. So as I said, this is the first time and updates have been done in four years and they address medication and non-medication treatments. They look at AS-related uh, comorbidities, the disease activity assessment, imaging tests and screening, and then managing biologics and biosimilars. The main motivation for the changes, you know, as mentioned, was the new treatment options that are available. There were also some clinical questions about the medication treatments as well as the use of imaging. The results of the literature review were then debated by a voting panel that they have that works with looking at all this. So everybody gets some input is really what it, it amounts to. So that ensures that these changes are based on, on good data and are worthwhile, you know, for all of us patients. So as I said, there was 86 recommendations. Patients can talk with their doctors about these new guidelines, but some of the recommendations, and I'm just going to read through these, and I apologize, I'm going to not use the scientific name for some of these drugs. I'm going to use the street names because, honestly, I can't pronounce the scientific names. It'll end up sounding like a butchering of me trying to do that. But some of the recommendations were strong recommendation to treat adults with active AS who are taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, you know, NSAIDs, with a tumor necrosis factor inhibitor, TNF, over no TNF treatment. So that was one of the first things that they said is that they want to start off the treatments with TNF inhibitors. We, we see that fairly common because most people say, my doctor wanted to start me off on Humira or Enbrel. Second, strong recommendation to continue treatment with the originator biologic versus switching to a biosimilar drug for adults with stable AS. So basically, the way I read that is if your AS is under control and you're on Enbrel, let's say, then the, the idea is to keep that treatment going. And maybe some doctors were saying, no, we'll switch to this or we'll switch to that or we'll move this, we'll do that. I don't know, but this is trying to say, why don't you just stay on the thing that's keeping it stable? Third, conditional recommendation to treat with a TNF rather than with a drug like Cosentix or some of the other ones that come along. They want to, looks like, start everybody off with a TNF inhibitor first. And then after that, it's conditional recommendation to treat with, say, Cosentix or Simza or any of those others if the TNF inhibitor doesn't work. Another conditional recommendation they made was to treat the patient with either Cosentix or another medication called Tults, using those two over using Zelgens. So basically they're saying, okay, if the TNF, you know, Embril or Humira doesn't work, then to try something like Tults or Cosentix versus jumping to Zelgen. So it looks like Zelgen has maybe been moved farther down the list of, been moved farther down the list of favorable treatments. 
Another conditional recommendation was against repeat spine radiographs as a standard approach for adults with active or stable non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis who are receiving treatment. So it looks like they're saying, okay, we're just not going to do a whole lot of x-rays, any type of imaging, I should say, if everything seems to be going along with normal AS treatment. Another one is conditionally in favor of the use of sulfazine in limited clinical circumstances. And then finally, MRI is not recommended to search for inflammation in patients with axial spondyloarthritis. So really, what does this mean for all of us? For some people, you know, it's going to mean nothing, like for me. For others, it might mean looking at other medications or fewer imaging tests, depending on what your doctor is recommending. Again, this is not medical advice. It's just talking about some of the items that are coming out. So really, it's going to still come down to your relationship with your rheumatologist and what he or she recommends that you do. Do as you work for because these are guidelines. They're not blanket statements. Your individual medical history and treatment response is still going to dictate the treatment you get for AS. It just overall, I thought it was kind of interesting. I'll put these links out. There's an interview with a Dr. Michael Ward. Uh, he's the chief of clinical trials and outcome branch at the National Institute of Arthritis and Musculoskeletal and Skin Diseases. Man, that's a mouthful. And he says, We took the opportunity to revisit some previous recommendations for which substantial new evidence was available and also included new recommendations on some other topics such as imaging. It's really great to see that there, even though we might not think that it appears there's a lot going on, behind the scenes the doctors are still working on trying to figure out more and more about these conditions we deal with that are all interrelated to to ankylosing spondylitis. So the big thing is going to be, as I mentioned with comorbidities, is the ophthalmologist, which I've mentioned in other episodes. Make sure you have an ophthalmologist that's familiar with treating AS because of the iritis and the conditions that you can get with. There's also, like I said, there was the questions and recommendations for AS uh, centered around the use of the IL-17 inhibitors, which are like Cosentix, Zelgen, and then biosimilars. They're, they're really looking at how everybody is affected. And where I was saying that earlier is I, I had mentioned that I had been on Enbrel, then I switched to Humira and had very little long-term success with either of those drugs, but then went on Cosentix five, six, seven years later and had great results with it for me so far, and I'm no longer allowed to take NSAIDs due to kidney issues. So uh, the Cosentix has really been fantastic for me. And again, these are just guideline treatments. This is going to be a real short episode this week. And I hope you all have great luck in reviewing some of these and implementing them with your doctor. The whole key is to make you a more informed patient. So when you go to the doctor, you understand what he or she is is trying to get at. And more importantly, you can better explain to the doctor what you're dealing with so that you can come to a better treatment plan. Because that's really what it's all about is getting you the best treatment plan you can have to mitigate some of the pain from ankylosing spondylitis and any other issues that you might be suffering from. So thank you again for listening. Hope you all have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.